and helplessness in the world. The answer for them is Christ. I was born in Malaysia in 1947. My family were idols, served the gods. And so without fail, every evening before we have our dinner, I would put jaws in front of the idols. It was a big deal because we have idols for everything. My high school teacher invited me to an evangelistic meeting. That was the first time I heard about Christ. I heard that I was a sinner and coming from my background, I felt that I was pretty good, you know. And then one night, I believe it was the prompting of the Holy Spirit, a thought came to my mind, and which said to me, if this God is true, the greatest sin in my life would be to deny that. That really got hold of me. And uh, the Lord convicted me of my sin. I went to all my, the idols and I said, this is the last time that I'm going to serve you. I have found the true God. And that was it. <laughs> I felt called to the ministry. I studied at uh, Hong Kong Baptist Seminary, which is also started by Southern Baptists, funded by Southern Baptists, and staffed by Southern Baptists. Had it not been for the Lottie Moon offering, my life would have turned in a totally different direction. It's a gift that keeps on giving through the lives of people that are touched through the generosity of Southern Baptists and I'm one of them, by the grace of God. Merry Christmas. Tim, come up. For the past <clears throat> five weeks, we've been gathering together and taking part as we light Advent candles. Just wait a minute. <laughs> um, I didn't grow up doing this. And uh, this, is, this is Tim Roth. He used, he used to be a student of mine, but he's at college now, but he's come back. So I asked him, since I've been asking ladies to do it, why not have the last person be a guy? Um, as we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ and rejoice in his coming to us, we light. We've watched, we have waited in hope. So right, light that first candle. We have waited for peace. Enjoy. With love, we light the fourth one. And now, our redemption draws near as we light the Christ candle. Thank you. 
Let me read Isaiah chapter 9. Thank you, Tim. Isaiah 9, verses 2 through 7, it says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You have multiplied the nations, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as people exult when dividing plunder. For the hoke, for the yoke, pardon me, of their burden and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For all the boots on the tramping warriors and all the garments rolled in blood shall be burned as fuel for the fire. And this is, this is the verse we know. For a child has been born for us. A son is given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders. And he is named Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. The zeal on the Lord of hosts will do this. Glory to God in the highest. Let me pray. And I ask the praise team to come forward as I pray. Please pray with me. Oh, Heavenly Father, our hearts sing with joy and praise because of Jesus. At this happy season, we rejoice that Jesus came among us. By his birth and life, he has shown us that we are your people and that we are greatly loved. Help us to remember Christmas all year long by giving to others the gifts of life. May we give to people around us hope, peace, joy, love, expressed in the works of our hands and our hearts in you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll please stand and worship together with us. What child is this who lay to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? Whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch our keeping. This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and
salvation brings, let loving hearts enthrone him. sin for us. He felt our temptation. He felt our pain. But ultimately, he canceled our sin for us, which was the greatest gift. Oh 
Uh, you may be seated. If all my children, any children that are here that want to come up for our children's sermon, come on. While they're coming, I meant to say this at the beginning. Unfortunately, and I didn't know this till like 20 minutes before the service, the toilets in the women's bathroom are not refilling with water. So there's probably some water frozen somewhere in the pipe. So ladies, if you need to go to the bathroom over in the education building, it is working over there, and it's nice and warm and toasty over there. Um, so if you're cold and just need to warm up, just go stand in that women's bathroom for about five seconds, and you will start sweating. All right, everybody, come over here. Come closer. Come gather. Come closer. Come closer. Come up. You can come sit on the floor if you want so you can see. Just right there on the floor. Right there on the floor. All right, here we go. So we're fast-forwarding all the way to chapter 53 because we're focusing in on the birth of Christ. So I'm going to read this story so you guys just do your best to listen, all right? The beginning of the Bible began with, well, a beginning. In the beginning, God created the what? Say it louder. Heavens and the earth. There we go. That's the first verse in Genesis, the first book of the Bible. The New Testament begins with another beginning, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And you guys probably don't find that quite as interesting as Genesis chapter 1, but it's still very important. That's the first verse in Matthew the first book in the New Testament. Genealogy is a big word that has to do with tracing your family tree. And that's what we see at the start of the New Testament. But here's something special that your parents may not even know. The word that Matthew used when he wrote the verse is actually the word Genesis. That's right. Just like the first book of the Bible, the story Matthew wants to tell is about a new start, a new Genesis, a new beginning. You guys know this story, except this new beginning is definitely still connected to the old beginning. Jesus didn't come out of nowhere, like a baby just fell from the sky. That would probably hurt, right, if a baby just fell from the sky? That would hurt. He wasn't created, it probably hurt if you got hit by the baby falling from the sky as well, but it wouldn't feel good. He wasn't created with a magic wand or in a science lab. Jesus was a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was from the tribe of Judah and the house of David. He had in his family tree mothers with strange stories like Tamar's, amazing stories like Ruth's, and sad stories like Bathsheba's. Jesus was a real Jewish boy born into a real Jewish family with a real genealogy full of real promises and real people with real problems. Jesus was just like us, and he was unlike us. That's how things work when you are God and man. Jesus was born like boys and girls are born, but his birth was unlike any before or since. Who were, what was his, uh, his parents' name, Jesus' parents? What were they? Mary and Joseph. They were engaged to be married, but before they even had a wedding, Mary got pregnant. And that didn't seem right, so Joseph had a plan to quietly break up with Mary. Exactly. My son just heard that, I think, for the first time. He's like, what? Shocking. But before he could do that, an angel appeared to Joseph in a dream. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. She's not done anything wrong. The child within her is from the Holy Spirit. If that weren't enough to make Joseph, the carpenter, drop his hammer on his big toe, the angel had more to say. Mary is going to have a son, and you should call his name what? Say it loud. Jesus. Jesus that's right. For he will save his people from their sins. 
Things were about to happen that people had hoped to see happen for a long time. Centuries earlier, the prophet Isaiah predicted that a virgin would have a son and he would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. In other words, a young woman with no earthly way to be pregnant would give birth to a heavenly child. Joseph woke up, did everything the angel told him to do. Mary had a son, and they named him Jesus, which means the Lord saves. That was the perfect name for a perfect Savior, and a perfect new beginning to the story that God had been writing even before the beginning of time. So let's pray. Father, today is an exciting day. Lord, it doesn't seem too long ago that that I was a child just like many of the children up here. And Christmas morning was filled with waking up and looking in your stocking and opening presents and spending time with your family and playing with your new toys and just being together. Father, we know that today, December 25th, is not the day that Jesus would have actually been born. This isn't his actual birthday like we maybe all have actual birthdays. But Father, we do set aside this time of the year, particularly this day, to focus on the birth of Jesus and what that means for each and every one of us. How everything is ultimately pointing to Jesus Christ. Everything that happened before, everything that will happen after, it all points to Jesus. So Father, as we preach from your word in just a few moments, as, as Bill is about to sing, as we take the Lord's Supper later, Lord, may we just focus our hearts upon Jesus who is Emmanuel, God with us, and who also is our Savior and our Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, you guys can go back to your seats. Thank you for joining me. Did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? This child that you will soon deliver you. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would give sight to a blind man? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would calm a storm with his hands? Did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod? Kiss your little baby, you kiss the face of God. Mary, did you know? Mary, did you know? The blind will see. The deaf will hear, and the dead will live again. 
Thank you, Bill. Appreciate that, brother. So, last year, August 1st of last year to be exact, we started a journey through the book of Ephesians. And we will finish that book next month by looking at what uh, Paul says about prayer. And in his instructions on prayer in verse 19, He writes these words, And also pray for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. To proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Paul has emphasized in this letter multiple times the mystery of the gospel. Now, over the years, I've had and heard people explain the gospel in various different ways to try to help us grasp it. One of those ways is in four words, God, man, Christ, and then our response to who Christ is. A method I've used is the three circles. You draw three circles, each pointing to the next, where you have God as the creator, like his design, then our sin, our brokenness, and then the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ that saves us. Just a way to try to explain the gospel, the good news of Jesus. But we also have to kind of go beyond that a little bit because we have 66 books, right? The Bible contains many stories, but all of those stories and all of those teachings are ultimately pointing to one grand story or one grand narrative. And when we think about that grand narrative, we've heard it explained in various ways. For example, some people explain creation, the fall, the redemption, which comes through Jesus, and then restoration. Like, how do we make sense of the big story of the Bible? I was listening to a sermon by Alistair Begg a couple of weeks ago, and in passing, in like 10 seconds, he didn't expand upon it, in 10 seconds, he just said, we can summarize the Bible in four words, good bad, new, and perfect. Good, bad, new, and perfect. And I thought, well, you're not going to expand on that, so that's going to be my Christmas Day sermon. As we think about the gospel, as we think about the story of the Bible, on this morning as we celebrate, I want to take you through in about 22 minutes 
this grand narrative of the Bible, and I want you to see how it all points to Jesus Christ. Now, it's going to be different than usual. I'm not going to have a passage of Scripture that we just work our way through. I'm going to read a bunch of Scripture for you. Look, this is a family worship. We got kids in here. They may make some noise. They may be squirming around. That's cool. We're just going to listen to the grand narrative of the Bible as we work our way through this. And so we start in Genesis chapter 1, and we start with good. Because God's Word starts with things being good. And if you have your Bible... If you listened last week, you probably brought your Bible. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Follow along with me. In the beginning, God, right, we start with God, created the heavens and the earth. Now, in Colossians 1.16, we read these words. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him, that's Jesus, and for him, Jesus. So when we read, in the beginning, God, we understand from the Bible, God is triune. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so we have God creating, right? Jesus is the eternal God. All things are created through him and for him. And so we keep reading verse 2. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Drop down to verse 4. We're going to skip a lot of verses. And God saw that the light was what? Good. You're going you're to read along with me. right? God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. Verse 10, God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Verse 12, the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, trees bearing fruit in which uh, is their seed, each according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. Verse 16, and 18 through 18 and God made the two great lights the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth to rule over the day and over the night to separate the light from the darkness and God saw that it was good verse 21 so God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind and God saw that it was good verse 25 and God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind and God saw that it was starting to get the picture yet verse 26 then God said let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Drop down to verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them and on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done so God blessed the seventh day made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation God declares his creation over and over and over to be good that word good can mean pleasant excellent 
of benefit. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, it is clear that word good means flawless perfection. Everything is flawlessly perfect, created just as the good, righteous, holy creator designed it to be. It's good. God creates and it's good. But in Genesis 3, everything changes. God's good creation suddenly takes a dark turn. And things spiral out of control and turn bad. Hear me, not because God ceases to be good, but because His creation, Adam and Eve, choose evil over the good and holy God. So we start with everything good. That's the foundation. God's good, His creation is good. And then we come to Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, and we see the bad. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Drop down to verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock. Above all beasts of the field, on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring four children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you, and pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword and turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. In Genesis 3, we see that God's good creation is now suddenly cursed. It's cursed, not because God ceased to be good, but because his creation had rebelled. They are now cut off from their holy, righteous, and good creator. Sin, their sin, has separated them. Sin has not completely destroyed the image of God that he placed within man and woman, but it has is, it is marred that image. Sin has led to death, decay, and destruction, and this impacts everyone, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Church, things are bad, and things will get much worse. Just read the Old Testament. Study history. Study church history. 
You will see that Satan seeks to steal, kill, and destroy, and he has been very successful at it. He knows what he's doing. You and I live amongst chaos and wickedness and rebellion, unlike maybe we've ever seen it before, and it's only going to get worse. But even in the bad, even in the dark, even in the pain, God provides hope. He provides hope, for we see he doesn't abandon his people. Even in Genesis chapter 3, we see God's mercy and grace as he takes an animal, right, in the, the garments of the, the skin of that animal, and he creates garments for Adam and Eve to clothe them and their nakedness. We see hope and victory in the seed of the woman who will bruise the head of the serpent. We keep reading in the Old Testament, and we see God establish a covenant, a promise with Israel. We hear the names as we read in the story of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. We see God tabernacle, dwell among his people. We see God give them the law, the Ten Commandments. We see God create a sacrificial system for the forgiveness of Israel's sin. We see God give his people priests who will represent the people as he goes before God in the Holy of Holies. We see God give his people prophets who will speak on behalf of God to the people. We see God raise up kings who lead and govern his people. And when you read the Old Testament, you see that God promises a Messiah. He promises an anointed one, a deliverer for his people. Even in the badness, we still see the goodness of God. And then in the midst of it, you read this verse, Ezekiel 36, 26. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. And I will cause you to walk in my statutes, to be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people, and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. You have the Old Testament. It ends with Malachi. And for 400 years, God is silent. He does not speak through any of his prophets. And then we come to the Gospels. We come to Matthew chapter 1. As we begin to read of this genealogy, and what we begin to see in the Gospels is that we go from good to bad to now new. To new. In Genesis 3, man is sent out from the presence of God. And hear me, he can never return unless God first comes to him. God must first come to him. And so we open up to Matthew chapter 1, if you want to follow along with me. Matthew chapter 1, verse 20 through 23. It's what makes these verses so significant because you have to understand them in light of the Old Testament. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God is now with us. His name is Jesus, and he will save us from our sins. 
Jesus, in his own words, said he came to seek and save the lost. The Creator takes on flesh. As we sang in the song, he breathes the very air that he created, that you breathe, he now breathes as he's dependent upon it. He enters into our world and he is laid in a manger, or if you want to stick with the, the words that start with the C, a cradle. So from creator to now he is laid in a cradle. And this baby that we worship, Jesus, who is Christ the King, he grows up. He doesn't stay a baby. He grows up. He lives a perfect, sinless life. That's key. He knew no sin. You can't go a day without sinning. He went his entire life on earth without sinning. He knew no sin. And on the night he will be betrayed, he gathers with his disciples and he says these words, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. God had made a covenant with his people. That's called the old covenant. He now makes a new covenant that will be ratified through his blood that is shed. An eternal covenant that he is making with his people. He's making something new. It's poured out for the forgiveness of sins. The creator who takes on flesh and is laid in a cradle is now nailed to a cross wearing a crown thorns he is born to die so that you and i through jesus might live with god the father forever but hear me the cross doesn't have the final say the very instrument that satan took and used to try to kill jesus is the very same instrument that god the father uses to bring about the salvation of his people God can take that which is meant for bad and he can even use it for good because God has a purpose. He's in control. And so that cross doesn't end with the cross. It leads to a resurrection. And if you want another C word, you have the creator, the cradle, the cross, and now he has another crown. Not a crown of thorns, but he's crowned King of kings and Lord of lords. For he is raised from the dead. Jesus the Christ is the Davidic Messiah. He's the suffering servant of Isaiah. He is Daniel's son of man. He is God in the flesh. He is prophet, he is priest, and he is king. He is the crucified and risen Savior. He is the King of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. And in Christ, you are made new. You are a new creation, Paul says. In Romans, he says, we walk in newness of life. We are given that new heart that is promised in Ezekiel. His spirit now dwells within us. Because of Jesus Christ, we are counted righteous before God instead of unrighteous. This morning, we are declared innocent instead of guilty. We are justified instead of condemned. All because of Jesus, because he's making all things new. But in Christ, not only are we new, but he has made a new people. He's made one people. This is something Paul emphasizes in Ephesians. He takes Jew and Gentile and he makes them one. And he calls his people, the church, the called out ones who live differently, who live a new life in Christ, who call others to come experience new life, who have been born again of God. 
This morning, this room is filled. I don't want to assume everyone in here, but this morning, this room is filled with people who've given their life to Jesus. Jesus is your Savior. You've confessed your sins, repented of your sins, taken hold of Jesus. He is your Lord. You are new. You, though imperfectly, are seeking to follow Him and love Him. But even those of us who are born of God still live in a land of darkness. We still wrestle with sin. We still wrestle against Satan. You and I still in this room experience death. That's why this Christmas may be harder than any other Christmas you've gone through. Because somebody's missing at the table. We are still surrounded by decay of that aging parent whose mind is gone. And Christmas is not the same. The traditions are not the same because everything has changed. Because the patriarch or the matriarch are now no longer able to care for the family. We experience disease. That's why there are things still like cancer and, and pain and other illnesses that are taking place. And it's why, though you try to rejoice this Christmas season, the reality is you're struggling in your heart. It's why things still go wrong, like you lose power. And your Christmas doesn't go the way you had hoped it would. Most of you don't know what I'm talking about, but some of you do. My Christmas the last couple of days is not what I had hoped it would be at all. I don't ever get to wake up in my home on Christmas. For the first time in six years, we got to do that. And this morning, we woke up in a hotel because we haven't had power. But it's all good. Because even in the midst of it, I like to say I handled it well the whole time. I didn't. <laughs> but that is why your pastor and you need the grace of Jesus even this morning. It's because we still deal with all of these things that weigh on us. Persecution and pain. Here's the reality, church. Things are new, but they're not yet perfect. They're not perfect yet. So we go from good to bad, to new, to one day perfect. Come to Revelation 21. Revelation 21 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne and said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the, to the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But... As for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Notice what the scripture says in verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Listen, a day is coming 
when you and I will experience those things no more. But hear me, the only way that we can experience those things no more is because Jesus, the eternal God, took on flesh and experienced every single one of those things. You know death, so does Jesus, because he came to die. You know weeping, and you know mourning, and so does Jesus, as he stood there when his friend Lazarus had died, and he wept, or when he stood overlooking Jerusalem, longing for them to repent, and it says he's weeping over the city. He knows what that's like. He knows pain. He knows what it's like to be betrayed. Judas, check. He knows what it's like to, in your deepest, darkest moment, have what you thought were your closest friends abandon you. Check. But Jesus even knows what you and I don't really know. And that is what it looks like to be completely cut off from God the Father. As Jesus is nailed to the cross and he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus experienced all of that. So one day you will experience it no more. Amen. A day's coming in which Jesus, and I don't know how he's going to do it, but he will literally wipe away our tears so that we never cry again. He will remove death so that we will never know death or pain again. A day is coming when everything in the world will be set right, when justice will finally be done, when evil will be overthrown forever, when righteousness will be established once and for all. So on this Christmas morning, as we gather to worship, right, to celebrate the truth that Jesus has come, that God is with us, we also are called to remember. And so that's what we're going to do in the Lord's Supper in a moment. It's why we left the cross up that the youth used several weeks ago, right? It's a reminder that his birth led to his death. That he died for us, and we'll remember that in a moment. But on this Christmas morning, wherever you are, whatever, whatever's going on in your heart and in your life, the reality is, if you are in Jesus, you long for, G for Jesus to come again. And we utter the words, come, Lord Jesus, come. Set it all right. Make it perfect. Make it good again like it was in Genesis 1 and 2. Church, this morning we aren't looking to some human power to save us. You aren't looking for some human authority to rule over us. I'm not looking for some political entity to rescue me. No, this Christmas morning, my affections and my deepest longings are centered on Jesus Christ who came once and who is coming again. Do you know that Jesus? Because Revelation 21 provides some encouraging words. But as you pay attention to verse 8, as it lists all these sins and those who are going to be thrown into the fire, into hell, the difference is not that you're a sinner and I'm not. We're all sinners. The difference is my hope's in Jesus. And you've never put your hope in Jesus. 
The difference is my sins have been paid for on the cross of Jesus Christ. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, your sins haven't been paid for. You're bearing them, and one day you will experience the wrath of God for your sins. Are your longings and your affections centered on Christ this morning? Would you close your eyes and bow your head? At this point, I'm going to ask our deacons that are going to be serving the Lord's Supper, I'm going to ask them to come forward and go ahead and take a seat up here. Miss Ann is going to go to the piano as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper together. But Before we do that, I just want you to take a moment to prepare your heart, to examine your heart. I just want to ask you a couple questions. As I've, as I've given you the big picture of, of the gospel, the overarching storyline of the Bible, as you're trying to make sense of the world and, and all that is going on, do you know Jesus? This Jesus that we worship, this Jesus that we praise, do you know him? Have you given your life to him? Have you trusted in him? Have you confessed your sins, repented of your sins, and just cried out, Lord Jesus, save me from hell. Save me from the power of Satan. Save me from my own self. Save me right now. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says you will be saved. Right now on Christmas morning, this can be a day of deliverance and celebration if you would give your life to Jesus. If you've given your life to Jesus, are you putting your hope and your affections this Christmas morning in Jesus? Have you trusted in Him? Have you turned to Him? Have you looked to Him? I pray that you are. Father, as we come to this time of the service, where we eat of the bread, where we drink of the cup, Father, we pray that your Spirit would just move in our hearts. That if anybody here doesn't know you, Jesus, they'll give their life to you right now. And those of us who do know you, Lord, I know that there's a lot of things going on in our heart. There's a lot of things going on in our circumstances. So, Father, would you help us this morning to find that peace, that hope, that joy, and the love, Jesus, that you have brought into the world. For your glory and your honor, we pray. Amen. So just a, just a moment, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. Um, so let me just, just explain a couple things. Number one, we believe that as long as you are a believer in Jesus Christ, a follower of Jesus, uh, you are invited to take this with us. We encourage you to do that. You don't have to be a member of Northside. I know we have people who are in town visiting. Uh, well, thank you for being here to, to come with your family. But if you know Jesus as Lord and Savior, then, then you, have, you remember what he's done for you. And so take of the bread and, and eat of the cup. Um, another word of instruction. Um, last time we did the Lord's Supper, we nearly, we nearly ran out. Um, and we, did, we don't want that to happen. So we're, we're trying to improve that and work on that. So what you're going to find, um, the middle sections, rather than having one plate passed among you, there's actually going to be two. Um, and so be, be a little bit alert there to make sure that we have plenty the other thing that you're going to find, this is the first time we've done this, um, and so we're going to see if it works. When you take a cup, the cup is actually double stacked. There's two cups, so make sure you pull two cups. One of them has the bread, the other cup has the juice. When you receive them, if you'll just hold them, we'll eat of them together. Take your time passing the elements. There is a place in your chair right in front of you, a little metal that you can set a cup in. 
So if you can't hold two cups, that, that's fine. Um, so take your time as the element is passed. Um, and we want to make sure that we have plenty for everybody, and we will by doing it this way. And uh, Ann will play for us in just a moment and just worship as you receive the elements, and then I will instruct us and in how we take them together. But let me pray again for us, and then we will begin to pass them out. Father, you call us to remember. So right now, Father, that's what we do. We remember your body, which was broken for us. We remember your blood that was poured out for us for the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus, we once again put our hope in you. We once again are reminded this morning that our only hope, joy in this life is through you, Jesus, and what you did for us upon this cross. We celebrate your birth today. We also have to be very mindful of why you came, why you took on flesh. So thank you for the salvation that you bring. Your word also tells us that as we remember, we will continue to do this, Jesus, until you return, until we are with you again. And so we look forward to the return of Christ. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, deacons, you may stand. Ryan is going to help me pass out the plates. While Miss Ann plays, we'll pass out the plates, and you all just receive, and then just be in a spirit of prayer.
Jesus first would have taken the bread. If you want to take a second, prepare yourself to eat that. He said that this bread would represent his body, which would be given for us. So we are to eat this bread in remembrance of him. Next, Jesus would have taken the cup. And he said that this cup would represent the new covenant through his blood. And that as often as we drink this, we are to do this in remembrance of him. So in Ephesians 6, the verse that I started with, when Paul talks about his prayer that they would pray that he would share the gospel. He's praying for boldness in sharing the gospel. And so we want to end our Christmas Day service by singing uh, Go Tell It on the Mountain. So our praise team is going to come and they're going to take their place. And so um, we're going we're to finish that way. Uh, so what we'll do is um, I'll pray for us now. We'll deviate just a little bit. I'll pray for us now. We will sing Go Tell It on the Mountain. And when we are done... Um, you all are dismissed and you are, uh, you are free to go. So if you'll stand, let me pray for us. Father, thank you for, for this time. Every six years, because of the way the calendar falls, Christmas falls on a Sunday. And it's great to be able to gather and to worship uh, with your people. First time I've been able to do it with my Northside folks and look forward to six more years when we can do it again. Uh, Lord, so just we thank you for that. Father, people may be traveling this week. Uh, they may be traveling today. Uh, I know some parts of, of our country are dealing with extremely, extremely cold temperatures and snow. Father, we just lift them up. We pray for them. We pray for those who will be traveling. Grant them traveling mercies. And then, Father, bring everybody back here safely. And, Father, we just want to gather next Sunday uh, on New Year's Day just to, to, to bring in the new year, praising you with, with our brothers and sisters. So thank you for this day. Thank you for sending Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's worship together.
The humble Christ was born and brought us God's salvation that blessed Christmas morn. Go.